This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hi, I'm Hanif Baharuddin and this is Gigi Well Played, the show that talks about all things video games. We're going to talk about the metaverse today with Quentin Stace Managing Director for Unreal in ASEAN, India and EMEA. But before that, here's a recap of some of the biggest news in the world of gaming with Daryl Ong and Dashran Johan. Yes, we're back from the break and there are a lot of things to talk about and a lot of things that happened in the past week. One of them, it's pretty big, is the news of Square Enix selling their Western studios and more than 50 IPs to Embracer Group for 300 million US dollars. Among some of the studios that will be sold by September this year include Crystal Dynamics, developer of the new Tomb Raider, Eidos Montreal, which makes the Deuce X series, and Square Enix Montreal, among others. This means that on top of giving away Tomb Raider and Deuce X, they also lose Thief and their cult classic Legacy of Kane. There'll be around 1,100 employees that'll be affected by this. That's right. Why did Square Enix sell these studios though? Well, according to reports, the decision was made based on how underperforming these studios were compared to some of the studios that they've had in Japan. In fact, a According to senior analyst at Nico Partners, Daniel Ahmad, in his tweet, these studios have, and I quote, underperformed over numerous titles and that Square Enix's biggest growth has been from their MMOs and Japan-made mobile phone games. They have also been looking to sell these studios for a while, according to reports. Square Enix is also selling these studios to invest in fields including blockchain, AI and the cloud. Investing in the future, it seems. Some people have also expressed surprise at the amount 300 million US dollars is a lot of money, but considering how crazy recent acquisitions were, it's kind of interesting to see them selling these studios for only that amount. As for Embracer Group, they are actually quite a big company that's based in Sweden. Formerly known as Nordic Games, they've gone through multiple rebranding exercises via acquisitions and they're quietly acquiring a lot of smaller studios. It'll be interesting to see how they grow from here and especially after acquiring some iconic franchises right now. For Square Enix, it seems like they're trying to diversify their business model to be more in line with the future. But let's see how deep they're planning to get and whether it's going to be at the expense of more gaming studios that they own. Speaking of acquisitions, the Federal Trade Commission in the US is reportedly opening an inquiry into the Bungie acquisition by Sony as they look to give more attention to mergers and acquisitions in their tech sector during this period of major industry consolidation. Based on reports, the FTC is now looking for more information about the deal and while it's unlikely that the sale will eventually be blocked as it will be risky and costly, the closing of the deal could be delayed by six months or even more. So Sony and Bungie did not announce a closing date when they made the initial announcement but reports have suggested that with the FTC doing its things, the closing of the deal could be pushed back into early 2023. Now the bulk of the questioning is going to be focused more on concerns that Sony might be motivated to prevent companies, services and competitors like Microsoft and Xbox from having access to Bungie games. The FTC is going to look at how popular Bungie's product is and whether if Sony were to block the deal, it will harm Sony's competitors and create antitrust violations. Mm. Sony, of course, has publicly claimed they're going to keep Bungie's games cross-platform, but their ability to potentially restrict current and future 
potential releases is still a point of concern to the FTC. While a process like this is normally a formality, especially towards large deals, they are markedly more aggressive these days, especially as a lot of major gaming acquisitions have been happening more recently. That's right. In fact, they were equally cautious when Microsoft announced their planned acquisition of Activision Blizzard and were reportedly investigating that deal as well, not to mention their investigations on NVIDIA and Meta. Like we said earlier, it's unlikely that the deal will be blocked or stopped. But what is interesting is that a closer scrutiny like this will most likely continue moving forward. Yeah, so we mentioned NVIDIA just now and a bit of news regarding the graphic cards maker. NVIDIA have been fined $5.5 million by the US Securities and Exchange Commission for inadequate disclosures regarding how many of its graphic cards were sold to crypto miners. In their press statement, the SEC said that NVIDIA did not disclose how crypto mining was a significant element in their material revenue growth during the 2018 fiscal year. That's right. And according to the SEC, and I quote, NVIDIA's disclosure failures deprived investors of critical information to evaluate the company's business in a key market. All issuers, including those that pursue opportunities involving emerging technology, must ensure that their disclosures are timely, complete and accurate. And as we know, NVIDIA's GPUs were in high demand for crypto miners, especially during its boom between 2017 and 2018, resulting in a shortage for the gaming market. And NVIDIA failure in reporting this has misled investors. Mm. Moving on, the next piece of news is on Activision Blizzard. The company, now acquired by Microsoft, have been embarking on major revamps and changes after the major scandal and controversy that they were involved in last year. Part of the effort includes changing the culture of the company and to do that, they have hired a veteran from the industry to help change things. That's right, that person is Jessica Martinez. She's going to be their new Vice President of Culture with 14 years of experience at the Walt Disney Company's employee experience team. Blizzard announced this in their press statement claiming that this is part of their ongoing initiative to create a more diverse, equitable and inclusive workplace culture where people at every level can learn, grow and bring their most creative selves to their work. Martinez will be working with Blizzard's learning and development team, communications and events team and each of the franchise and functional leaders. While at Disney, Martinez was the chief of staff and key strategic advisor to the chief security officer and the chief technology and digital officer for Disney Parks and resorts. So all the best to Jessica Martinez and let's hope for everyone's sake that this will be the beginning of something positive for the company as they try their very best to turn over a new leaf. Yeah, last piece of news this week on Steam most wishlist game. It's the day before. The upcoming open world survival MMO is obviously anticipated by a lot of gamers will be delayed to the 1st of March 2023. That's right. This is due to the game switching over its engine to Unreal Engine 5 Developer Fantastic announced the news on Twitter sharing their ambition to port the game to the new, more advanced engine but as a result, the game has to be delayed to next year further from the initial date of 21st of June this year. The game was announced last year and received a lot of hype as it looks a bit like Ubisoft's The Division but set in a The Last of Us setting. This news means that those of you who put the game in your wishlist have to wait a bit more before being able to give the game a try. That's all we have for this week's news. Back to you, Hanif. Thank you very much, Daryl and Deshran.
At this rate, whether you're into tech or not, you must have heard of the word metaverse. It's a buzz term that is thrown around lately to refer to what is supposedly a new internet, a virtual world or concept that's going to change the way we do things. Due to the nature of it, some people have used video games as the closest reference to what it may look like, and they're not that far off. Currently, video games such as Fortnite, Minecraft, and Roblox are perhaps the closest examples that we can point to in explaining this metaverse concept. Yeah, so I'm a content scholar. I am uh, the managing director for Unreal Engine at Epic Game for EMEA, which is Europe, Middle East, Africa, and uh, India and Southeast Asia. That's Quentin from Epic Games, and he has joined me via Zoom to share Epic's take on the metaverse and how they're planning to approach it. Like I alluded to earlier, based on their success with Fortnite and how they've been prepping the game to be more than just an online MMO battle royale, on top of their work with Unreal Engine, does this mean that Epic Games has the advantage and a head start compared to their many competitors in the tech industry? I don't know about advantage. You know, so our founder and CEO Tim Sweeney has been. You know, chasing that metaverse um, for a long time, and um, you know, we've been slowly putting the building blocks uh, together, and uh, and also we've been uh, you know trying to demonstrate through Fortnite what it could be and what is possible to be done, and so you know, we I think we are differently positioned than most most uh, other software or gaming company because we are both right. We we publish games. We have a Fortnite and. Rocket League uh, and and Fall Guys, um, and then we have our software business, which is uh, Unreal Engine and the entire ecosystem we're building around it. So in that sense, we're quite different because we use our own technology. In in you know in inside the company, we say we we dog food it. So anything that we're different than other uh, software company that do uh, this kind of uh, 3D rendering technology, because we actually do it. We use it ourselves for our own business. And we're quite different from the game companies because we have our own tool sets and environment to build. So in that sense, I think we are different and we are very well uh, positioned. But you know, we're a small company compared to some of the big shop uh, that are trying to uh, you know, grab this space. We are a fairly small company. So our, our strength, I think, is uh, that diversity, that two different perspective we bring to the to the game, and uh, and uh, uh, you know the fact we are we are small and nimble and able to move quite fast. So um, let, let's go back to basics, right? Um, a lot of people have been throwing around this term, you know, the metaverse, you know. Um, but mm-hmm. I guess to a certain extent, one way or another, there seems to be a lot of like different definitions of it. I'm curious as to how Epic Games would define it. You know, how, how do you define metaverse, you know, from your perspective? Right. And so, you know, for us, I think it's the, the aggregation of a bunch of technologies that are, that are getting, you know, to... That are getting to maturity now, and I'm thinking of obviously the game engine technology like Unreal, which is which allows like what we call real-time 3D rendering, which means you know on-the-fly creation or reproduction of 3D environment on which you can move and evolve, like you do in online games, like like you do on on, on video games. Um, but I think also you know obviously uh, the, the the computing power, so the chips, the GPU that you now have in your phones. Um, but also the network, you know, uh, computing power. So 5G now that allows to do a lot of the rendering or a lot of the heavy lifting um, for the computing on the edge of the network. And then obviously the cloud, right? And so those things means that you can have much more sophisticated environment, you know, managed and, and rendered for many, many more people to have experience together. 
Um, and then also AI, right? AI that can populate those, those universes, can interact with, uh, with humans, but also AI that can help create faster because what we're thinking of is, is really this, right? It's the next version of the internet. Um, and, and that's a version of the internet that is 3D, that's interactive. I think most of the youth that have grown with games are expecting interaction in a much more sophisticated way than what you know websites and the usual traditional internet is offering. And then uh, also persistence, meaning you can actually have an impact on this environment and that impact stays. So you, you have an impact that that you know the 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 environment or the space evolve with the interaction of its users. Right. And so that's a bit like we're doing. And yes, the closest thing to this is probably what you see in um in in video and mass multiplayer online games like Fortnite, like Roblox, like Minecraft. And I mentioned those three very specifically rather than other 3D uh, online game because they all have a kind of creator environment, which I think it's very important. So, you know, user-generated content, creative communities, we think that that's really the future, right? And if you think of the parallels, for instance, on linear video, right? The, the, the way linear video expl exploded online, it's not when, you know, only on the uh, professional creator could create video. It's not even when we all had a video on uh, on our phone, it's really when you get platform where people can post and share their videos like YouTube, um, like, like Twitch, et cetera. And so we think that's the same thing. It's really gonna take off when um, users will be able to create their own space, create their own uh, environment and interact with, with other players. And, and you know, that's, that's really when we see the exponential uh, growth of that. Yeah, um, what I find quite interesting, and I'm going to touch uh, on, on a point that you mentioned about how, I guess, uh, you know, the, the games that you mentioned, including Fortnite, Roblox and whatnot, right? And how um, Fortnite itself has an interesting approach when it comes to, um, I guess, not only being a massively multiplayer online game, but also... One way or another, it's a ground for experimentation, right? Um, you know, you've had um, a lot of virtual events there, from concerts to even art galleries, um, to showcase the potential of living in this virtual world. So, so do you think that this is a way to somehow, I guess, normalize, quote unquote, the concept of um, metaverse to people who are still, I guess, a bit more confused about it, and maybe perhaps need a need an example of how it can be the potential of it all? Yeah, that's that's really what we were trying to do is doing those concerts and everything, right? Is you know. For the last 10 or 15 years, online games have been perceived as really a playful activity that's, you know, a lot for boys running around together. And, and it's a little, it was a bit secretive. And what the idea there is those technologies that we use in games and those environments we create for games and tools, they can enable broader experience, right? So concerts is a very good example. Um, you know, the art gallery you mentioned too, but we've, we've seen... Um, brand go into Fortnite Creative, for instance, and create mini games that, you know, kind of demonstrate or try to, you know, enhance their brand. So it could be, uh, you know, uh, people like Balenciaga who use our tool to create virtual shows, virtual, uh, you know, catwalk, uh, recreate, you know, crazy worlds of and, and, and visual for the advertising and also use this on, you know, a lot, a lot of really exciting things going down uh, on outdoor advertising with those giant LED screens and turning 3D videos also. Um, but also they've developed the actual entire collection with online gaming space and created 
you know, real clothes that you can buy in their store that are influenced by uh, the environments of games and then create a virtual version of those clothes that they've put into Fortnite and they've monetized it. So it's really, you can see all the link between reality and virtual worlds are starting to, you know, be instead of being two different worlds, it's, it's, it's a continuum of experience that crossed between um, reality and virtual, right? Um, and so that's there's a lot of experiment there. And that's really what we want to enable. Obviously, there's a few things we can do in that part of the game that we control, we, we create, you know, those multiple seasons, and we can introduce type of things. But we think that's still very limited. I think we think that in the, in the, uh, you know, the, the creative part that really gives the tool to users or brand to start creating their own experience and their own world is really where the future is. Mm, all right. Yeah, that's interesting. And speaking of, I guess, brands uh, to a certain extent, I think Sony and Lego Group parent company could be uh, the latest investors to this concept, mm-hmm. spending $1 billion each, right, in Epic Games. Um, they obviously are players that you would expect to somehow invest in the company, right? But beyond these companies, um, how are you planning to get other players and stakeholders uh, outside the tech industry to be a part of the metaverse? Well, I, I you know... I think there's there's two aspects, right? There's brands that have an affinity with our own brand and our own game, and those we can have very close partnership that uh, integrate them in our game, etc. There's example like like Lego, where we are going together to build new experiences using you know our technologies and their brand and their experience with children uh, and children, uh, you know, education and entertainment. And I think it's a good model of how we could potentially work together with with other brands but again i think you know that's only we are a small company i think you know the the creative environment that let any brand then expand the uh, you know using their own tool without having dependent you know depending on us or, or etc and can use that open environment to create their own brand is going to be very important in terms of partnership you know sony has been a partner it's not the first time they invest with us and obviously we've been releasing games on the playstation for many many years so we have a long standing stories there and i think the the, the the story with lego is really you know we are we are very you know, we are all admirers of Lego and how they've used those blocks and, you know, uh, uh, created entertainment and education for kids for, for, for many, many, many years. And also for us, it's a, it's a great, it's a great pleasure and a, a great learning to be able to partner with them and, and expand the brand. That was Quentin Stace-Pole, Managing Director for Unreal Engine and Epic Games for EMEA India and Southeast Asia. And he's here to talk about the metaverse. We're going to make way for some messages more after this. Stay tuned. This is Gigi Well Played on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, you're listening to GG Well Played. I'm your host, Hanif Baharudin. Joining me this week is Quentin Stace-Pole. He's the Managing Director for Unreal Engine and Epic Games for EMEA, India and Southeast Asia. And he's here to talk about the metaverse and Epic's position on the concept. We're going to continue the conversation by looking at how people who are perhaps still sceptical about it can be convinced. Um, what I find quite interesting about the conversation surrounding the metaverse is that um, you have a lot of people who are excited and are pretty optimistic mm-hmm. about the concept, but you also have a lot of people who are more skeptical, right? They're a bit skeptical mm-hmm. of the concept. Um, so how do you think we can sell this concept to the people who are a bit skeptical of all the possibilities? Well, you know, I think, 
you know, I'm I'm old enough to uh, remember the emergence of the internet in the mid and late 90s, and you had exactly the same kind of skepticism. And I I understand it, right? It's it's a big change. Um, it's a change of uh, what we can do. It's uh, it challenges uh, the way things are done rightly uh, currently, and and it disrupts. So there's always resistance in every every society when when you create disruption like this. I, I think. Two, two point, right? The first thing is making sure those people have a chance to experience it. And I think that's what we were trying with a lot of those events also, right? Is bring people in the game that typically wouldn't come in those games and said, oh, okay, my favorite artist is playing in there or my favorite brand is, you know, we did an integration with Ferrari, for instance, and then got their car in the game and said, you know, my favorite brand is in the game. Let me try and see what those people do. And if, I think usually once you've gone into it, and see the potential and spend a bit of time and realize the immersion, realize the interaction and all of those things you can do, you know, people people usually say, you know, change their mind and, and become very much more interested. And I think the other thing that really brought in the 90s and early 2000 people on the internet was ease of use and utility, right? So I think a, a lot of um, a lot of things will, will come when you have engagement, when the bar, uh, will become lower and you know our grandparents didn't jump on the internet it took the mobile phone to come and the interaction to be so smooth that they they felt comfortable going at it right and so games is still a little bit uh, clunky uh, requires still a bit of uh, every device sometime etc so all the content is directed more towards kids so there is nothing, you know, there's not, not necessarily uh, content and ease of use that appeals to everybody. But that as it evolves, like the internet in the 90s, as it evolved, you know, more content that appeal to a wider audience will start to appear and more use of the technology to do things that are relevant to uh, people of all walk, uh, you know, of all walk of life will make it more relevant. So I think it's just, a, we are very early stage. And it's just as this concept evolve and those technologies are leveraged to, uh, you know, share a wider type of experience and um, more useful, uh, you know, uh, more useful applications for everybody, then, then, then we'll see it, right? The same way the app world, uh, you know, was started with just a few games and now you can't imagine doing anything. You've got banking, you've got retail, you've got all of those things coming there, right? So I think a lot of those, and we see a lot of those brands from banking to retail to, you know, all kinds of services that are starting to explore how can they leverage this technology, how can they leverage those 3D interactive elements and this persistence to improve their brand image, but also to actually deliver services and so on, right? So I think, I think that's really uh, something that will take probably five to 10 years to happen. It took, you know, literally... 25 years for the internet to arrive or 30 years for to get from, you know, us going on small modem and, and, <laughs> and dial up and, you know, and, and black screen with, with, uh, with just a hyperlink to what we are today, right? With our phone full of application, we don't even know what they are for anymore. And, and everything is done online. So I think because this technology evolves much faster and there is a much wider base of users that are familiar with online game and this type of interaction than there was on the internet. It's funny, you know, if you take um, Fortnite plus Minecraft plus uh, Roblox, total audience to reach about, active audience to reach about 300 million. That's about the same uh, audience and people uh, on the internet in the late, in the midnight, mid-90s. So I think you'll, 
you'll see that happen over the next, I would say over the next five to 10 years, you'll see a lot of the internet move into this 3D uh, interactive persistent environment um, you know, that, that, that is coming up. I think also a lot of people don't believe in it because they don't really understand, right? To a lot of people, uh, the metaverse is a little bit the pitch that uh, Mark Zuckerberg did, right? This cartoonish character and avatars, and then, you know, Oculus, right? Things on your head. And not everybody wants to be with a thing on your head. We don't think that the metaverse will necessarily be VR immersive, everybody in the Google space, or dystopian matrix, or you know, Ready Player One type of uh, of, uh, of environment as as the thinking about the metaverse emerged initially, right? We think that screens are everywhere, and they'll be even more everywhere. Um, you know, with uh, the the cost of LED, LED screen going down dramatically, and LED screen being embedded in, from windows to windshield to tables to everything, we think you'll have many opportunities to interact with this, this 3D, this metaverse, this 3D uh, real-time environment um, across all of those touch points. And, you know, it's not going to require, we think VR might be a part of it, but it's not going to be uh, the whole of it, right? And so I think a lot of people still have that, that concept that, you know, it's, oh, we all going to be with those Googles on our head and I don't want that. So, you know, metaverse is not for me. And they're right. That's not what it is. Mm, yeah. But that in itself is also the, the problem, right? Because there are a lot of different definitions by a lot of different, I guess, I guess stakeholders here who have their own mm-hmm. definition or their own preference as to how to, I guess, to materialize the, the metaverse, right? So so do we need a, a standardized version of a metaverse, a standardized definition of metaverse in order to at least get a lot more people on board? I don't know that we need that. I think, you know, it's the story of the elephant and all the people with uh, their, their their eyes uh, covered with, with cloth there, and they're all picking a different piece of the elephant. They say an elephant is like this and one is picking the leg, one has the tail, one has the trunk, one has the ear. And they all think um, they can define what the elephant is. And, and rightly, they all describe the elephant, but only a part of it, right? So, so I think that's the same, the same story that we have here, but that doesn't stop people from, you know, being active in their segment of it and developing the technology and the application in their segment of it. And the same way the internet was born in the 90s, again, is the same thing, right? Some people were focused on payment, some people were focused on retail, some people were focused on entertainment. And if you ask them what the internet was, they would all give you a different description. But the reality is they're all working based on the same set of technologies. They're all trying to achieve engagement with their audience, deeper engagement, and resolve issues or facilitate things that uh, were not possible before. And so I think all together in, in, a, in a, a bit chaotic way, uh, as human beings, that's the way we innovate and we'll come up together. Today, even if you ask people to define what's the internet, they'll have, you know, everybody will start by a different beginning. And so I think this, this is what it is. And obviously it's a bit confusing because this term has been really thrown into the white public uh, six months ago when Mark Zuckerberg came out, you know, for technologists and game, game players and science fiction lovers, this, this, this exists for a long time. Um, so, so, I think it's just that the mainstream needs to digest it and get relaxed with it. It's not going to happen. You know, a lot of uh, issues and pushback also are, oh, this is going to be overnight transformation and suddenly we you know our whole world is going to change. That's not the case. We're going to evolve this progressively from 
the today's internet, from today's games, and from today's apps world. And it's going to progressively evolve in, in bits and pieces and things that are too fast or that are too early will not be successful initially. Um, and, you know, it's that's the that's just the story of innovation, right? And we have to be a bit comfortable with that ambiguity for the time being, I guess. <laughs> right. Speaking of ambiguity, is it a bit too early to start thinking about some of the challenges that we might face in the future and you know some of the risks that we might face in the future? And how how can we, I guess, minimize this, I guess, risk or even challenges that we might face? Well, I you know, I think there's a few things we are very concerned about, right, which we've been very vocal about. One thing is for the metaverse to happen. Um, we think it's about creation and about, you know, creating those worlds and those environments where people can evolve, etc. And we think that over the last 25 years, a little bit of the internet has been hijacked by a few large companies that are kind of benefiting from monopoly type, either on technology or on access and gateways. You know, we've, we've been very vocal about this. So I think for us, it's very important that it stays open because an open environment allows competition, allows creativity and rewards the creators, right? And not necessarily the people who give access or uh, provide audience or control a hardware platform or, or an environment, an ecosystem. So, you know, we, we we believe that it's very important that it's open, that there is a space for competition, that there are no people to extract rent, excessive rent from uh, their position in the market. We also believe that for this to work, right, um, you need to be on, we need to still develop lots of open standards. And again, similarity from the internet, you know, what really allowed the internet to, to take off was, well, we had a open standard provided by the US government, no HTML, that we are allowing to move from one page to the next, and we're allowed to allowed to use a browser to you know seamlessly navigate to one property to another one. Um, we had the infrastructure also with the whole internet uh, backbone that was provided by again the U.S. government initially, and then built up by other governments. And so, so standard is a big one today. You know, uh, this whole noise about NFT, and I give you. Oh, I can give this character in these games, and then um, you know I will own it forever. So, property right is another thing that's important to define clearly. Uh, but today, if I've got a character in Fortnite, I can't really bring it into um, Minecraft or into Roblox or into any other game. There's no compatibility, right? And so, establishing standards, you know, uh, hopefully often based on on you know on, on the open open source technologies, if possible, that people can keep building on the standards, right? We started with HTML, then we got XML, then we got HTML, uh, you know, uh, MPEG, MPEG-3, MPEG-4, and all of those are standards that allow people to seamlessly uh, travel and visit different, right? we don't have that. Uh, there's a lot of complexity on how that's achieved between games, right? How do you bring your identity? And so at Epic, for instance, we we're really trying to, to start putting some of the building blocks of that. So, you know, a very good example is we took um, the social infrastructure from Fortnite. So, you know, your leaderboard, your single sign-on, um, your, your repository of data, your uh, repository of item and assets, and the fact that, you know, Fortnite can go um, 
you can play it on all different platforms from mobile to uh, Xbox to PlayStation, etc. So we put that all very sophisticated uh, social infrastructure that allows you to connect to all of those devices. And we abstracted it from under Fortnite and we made it available. We make it available to any other games, right? So other games usually would have to develop that from scratch, would have to then connect it and maintain it with each of the platform and would have to, uh, you know, wouldn't be able to use that, uh, you know, and, and synchronize it with other games or anything like that. And by abstracting this and making it available for free to everybody, we're trying to create some of those standards in this, this infrastructure. So Epic Online Services allow any, com- any game company to come and, you know, just with one API connected to into that Epic Online Services and having them immediately access to, you know, the 500 million uh, users and they, you know, all content, uh, sorry, all all social function for that on Fortnite. So there's lots of, there's lots of other things that, that really allow, you know, facilitate that transition and that, that, that openness and there's still, but there's still a lot to do. And we are a member of every single standard, you know, committee that's working on the world and establishing those standards. It's a lot more complicated to, you know, have standards that allow interactive, uh, persistent, uh, you know, 3D dynamic environments to connect with each other, right? Today, MP, you know, one video, you can play it in the same standard in multiple websites. That's not true for a lot of the things in online games. So there's still a lot of work to be done in there. It's very exciting work. Um, and it, it's going to define how, how this whole thing shapes up. All right. Um, you mentioned a term that's pretty popular uh, these days, but also quite thorny among a lot of people as, as well, especially in the gaming scene, right? Um, you mentioned the word NFTs. Right. <laughs> yeah. So right. so let's let's address that, right? Uh, where does Epic Games uh stand on NFTs, uh, especially with regard to this metaverse world that you're trying to build, and especially taking the factor how I guess, especially within the gaming community, the pushback has been quite strong so far. Right. I mean, it's quite strong. And at the same time, that's the place where the adoption has been the strongest, right? So clearly, property rights are something that's very important, right? If you look at the history, you know, the, something that really allowed the economies to develop historically was the fact that, you know, property property registry and ways to do uh, transaction in property and pass ownership were established, right? It's not like the king before own everything and, you know, give it to give it to a few people, it's like, okay, this has become tradable. And that's the establishment of property registry and you know, property system for transactions, et cetera. And so on, on the digital space, this is just early stage. It's just appearing. We're just starting to figure out how to uh, do our, uh, you know, handle property. And I think smart contract as a concept, which is one of the concepts in the line NFT, are very important and um, you know, have a lot of a lot of future and and crypt, you know, cryptology and you know, crypto in general, crypto technologies in general, uh, will have a very important part uh, to play in there uh, and safety. And Epic, uh, you know, Epic, you, you mentioned at the beginning of the of the call, uh, Epic Game Store. We have elected to uh, allow NFT game inside our store. So we've not made big move ourselves around NFT and around crypto. Uh, we we are you know we are looking at it we are we are observing what's going on we are as long as it's legal we are letting people use our technology you know whether it's UE5 or it's getting in our stores uh, and and explore NFTs 
Um, but we think there's still quite a lot of problem uh, around that, right? A few of the problem is obviously, you know, we're very concerned about sustainability of the technology in terms of energy and computing consumption. Uh, although some of the new protocol are really starting to allow, you know, much, much, uh, you know, transactions and et cetera, with much lower uh, computing overhead. So that's, that's, that's nice and it's going in the right direction. Um, we also have concerns about the notion that decentralized databases are better than centralized databases. We're not very convinced of that. We think, you know, people still want to trust, uh, you know, known and, uh, you know, uh, real, real uh, registry that have an, an address book that you can go and knock at some door at some place in the world and not necessarily a bunch of servers that, uh, you know, uh, maybe in some uh, funky countries and that you that you can't really control, right? Uh, so we think there's still a lot of uh, sort of issue with safety, with security. There's still a lot of issue around regulation. There's still a lot of issue around, you know, uh, just having so many bad actors still, right? That are that are that are using the technology. So what is to say? We think it's very promising. Uh, we think it's very important. We have not taken a, fine, a final position or approach we are approaching and we are definitely letting people use our tech and our, and our ecosystem to, to experiment as long as it's legal. Uh, but today you buy an NFT from one game, as I mentioned earlier, it's, you can't do anything with it. Right? You can't, there's no, the, the actual, you know, crypto that's, that's looking at that asset, that asset is not in a format that you can actually transition from one game to another. So, What's the use of having that ownership that you can, you know, and whether you can transfer it or not? So there's still a lot of questions that need to be answered there, uh, but it's a very exciting, uh, I think we think it's a very exciting space. All right. Um, so it's a question of when rather than if. Is that fair to, to say for Epic Games at least? Yeah, I, I think it's it's when and how, right? And, you know, um, definitely there's lots of very interesting tech in there and um, and and it's trying to solve a lot of very interesting problems that are related to the metaverse mm, all right i mean as, as as much as the metaverse is pretty exciting and you know to a certain extent even you know would say sophisticated as well um do you think that it will also one way or another exacerbate the digital divide that exists in our society considering how sophisticated it is if you think about it well, I think that's a great question and something that is really, really high on, you know, in my set of priorities personally. And and uh, so I think like all, you know, technology leap, it has the potential and the risk to do that because it's so dependent on access and, and infrastructure. But on the other hand, you know, I'm, I'm quite optimistic because I, I, you know, I spent a lot of time in India and I saw the last five years deployment of uh, cheap uh, 4G and and phone access has really changed the way the entire economy is is running and access to that is um, has been very uh, dramatic and, and it's very deep inside even rural area and so on. So. I think, yes, there's a risk of that. There's a risk of exclusion. Um, there's a risk of, you know, of this benefiting mostly the the, the richer audiences and, and countries. But I think it's not necessarily the case. I think it has also a lot of opportunities to, um, to actually widen uh, the reach of the internet. And 
you know, let me expand on that. I think, for instance, you know, 5G, uh, which put less dependency on the actual end user device and allow a lot of the experience to be, you know, the computing to be done on the, on the edge has the potential, if priced right, to enable uh, usage by people who, you know, could not afford a high-end device or, or even a simple device. Um, but the key is like, how is this priced, right? And what really made it happen in India was that, you know, the new entrant that, that brought 4G at scale really broke down the price and made it a tenth of the price of what the previous incumbent in the market were charging, right? And that's really price to access that's going to define whether you have inclusion or not. Um, if visionaries uh, like uh, like what happened in India understand that um, if they price it down, they're going to increase the size of the pie quite dramatically and bring more people in that economy. And if they bring more people, the economy is, is going to grow. I think as long as we have people who have those kind of vision, it won't happen. But in certain markets where, again, people will try to cream uh, and focus on the users that uh, generate a, a big, uh, uh, you know, ARPU, uh, average revenue per users, yes, then it has the potential to increase the divide there. So it's not a very simple question. It always has the risk, and it's about all of us making sure that it doesn't happen, and you know, waiting, waiting in to to make sure that uh, that that access and uh, is is a widespread and that people can access. The, the other thing that can benefit this is AI, right? With AI, uh, access and ease of use um, will also uh, be better. So you know, widespread of AI. I'm thinking things like you know, voice recognition um, and voice interaction using AI, um, you know, can go over people who, for instance, can't use keyboards or, you know, uh, illiterates or, uh, you know, people like that, that would not have been able to get on the internet today might now potentially have access because because of those of those new features and this new technology that implemented. So it's it's like always, right? You, It's about the choice we all make as individual and as societies on whether you know uh, the benefits of this new technology is widespread or limited to an elite. Um, I think it's as it's, we can only look at to ourselves. It's not the technology that creates those divides. It's how societies use those technologies. You're tuned into GG Well Played, and that was Quentin Stace Pole, Managing Director for Unreal Engine and Epic Games for EMEA India and Southeast Asia. And we've spoken about the metaverse and Epic's vision for it. If you'd like to listen to this episode again, look for the podcast on bfm.my, our app available on the Apple App Store or Google Play, and also Spotify. To share your thoughts and the games that you play via our email, ggwp at bfm.my. Don't forget to also follow the station on Twitter at BFM Radio. My name is Anif Baharudin. Thanks for joining us. Game on and please take care. This has been GG Well Played. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.